What's going on out there, everybody? Hope everybody's staying empowered and staying motivated. Welcome to another edition of Adapt Radio, where all dialogue and perspective is true, and our goal is to help you, one conversation at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so honored to be able to have the next guest on our show. He is a legendary rapper. He's a legendary A&R, legendary businessman who hails from New Jersey, known as YZ. You're going to learn a lot about what he contributed to the rap game. So please, by all means, like this audio, share it with your friends. Um, make sure that you rate and review us in Apple, Spotify, under Adapt Radio, A.D.A.P.T. With that being said, I can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts. Peace. Right, all right, man. I'm lucky and blessed to be able to have the legendary A&R rapper. I might be missing some other types, entrepreneur, business broker, all those good things, YZ in the building with me. How you doing today, brother? I'm absolutely living and blessed. And uh, I'm honored to, uh, to be here. And the pleasure is all mine. Like I, you know, like I was telling you, man, before we started, you know, I met you a couple years back and I didn't get the full picture, but um, I'm glad to be able to talk with you and get more of the picture for myself, but also for everyone else. Cause man, we, it was something you said in one of your interviews, man, we have to tell our stories and we can't expect other people to do it for us. And then, you know, we don't tell it, these stories are lost, man. Absolutely. there's no better griot than the person who's actually lived the story. Now, um, we talked about Islam earlier. Um, what makes Islam the most interesting of the three religions that are sister together is that it's based on a song. <laughs> and uh, if you could just learn the song and get through the Quran in that, in that way, everybody will be on the same page and the story will never be changed. It'll never get, you know, lost or, you know, here it is, you know, we know when you talk about the Bible, how many times the Bible has probably been tampered with or called this version or that version or, well, the beauty of the, the of Islam is that that story is taught exactly the same way every time. And I believe that with hip hop and just like any other story, if you just focus on it, tell it well enough to somebody who's actually listening and paying attention, when they deliver the story, it'll get, it's just due. It'll get, it'll get told in the way that it's supposed to. And all it's going to take is that person to tell it in a way where the next person will be able to pass it on. And that's what the grill was all about. And that was a gem. You know that. No, nah, that was a good gem you just dropped because, you know, that was something they told us coming up, just how, to, you know, the Quran is written in its original language and that allowed it to be preserved. And hip hop's the same way, man. It's got an original language, even though people put their own spin on it. Um, so. Matter of fact, let's let's start there then. So, you're from Jersey, yeah. Were you? So I'm trying to see if I can get this right. Were you born in Trenton and raised no. in Patterson? 
No, I was born in Patterson. I was never raised in Trenton. Okay. Um, I was born in Patterson. I moved to, uh, from Patterson, we moved from Patterson to central New Jersey when I was about 12 years old. Okay. My mother's job had, had moved. Um, and so when it moved, my whole family moved. And my dad, he ended up getting a job out near her. And um, we moved to a place called East Windsor. The high, the high school that I went to was called Heights Town. Mm -hmm. uh, exit eight off the turnpike. And it's about 30 minutes away from Trenton. Uh, and it's actually live in Ewing right now. Um, when I first went to college, I went to a community college called Mercer, Mercer County. And uh, that's even closer to Trenton than where we live. But uh, that's where I'm from. I was born in Patterson, um, went to, to uh, high school. Actually, uh, we moved there in eighth grade, so a portion of eighth grade, um, I was there and then from there, I ended up moving to New York. Okay, okay. I I read in the interview, but I think it's good to rehash it. So, Rapper's Delight was your introduction to rap. Well, Rapper's Delight was introduced to me in a strange way. I was walking to the store with two of my cousins, um, Jamal and Trina, their brother and sister. Um, they have a younger sister named Tisha. She wasn't with us. And they have an older sister named Wasina. She, she wasn't with us. But these two, Wasina's older than me. Trina and Jamal are both younger than me. Trina's just under me. And Jamal is just under her. And Tisha is under him. Okay. Um, so while we're walking to the store, they're singing Rapper's Delight. I don't know what Rapper's Delight is. <laughs> and I'm wondering how is it that these two younger people who are younger than me, even though we were just little kids, I'm still older than them. I'm the big cousin. And uh, they seem to know something that I don't. And uh, so I asked them and they looked at me like I was like an alien or something, you know, like, you know, like, how do you not know this record, you know? So I made it my business to find out what that record was. And the next time that they saw me, I knew every word to it. Man. Um, I actually wish that that probably wasn't the song that I had learned first. <laughs> 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 but I'm happy to know that at least a portion of that group was from New Jersey. That's and, right. Which is a plus. Um, the song that really changed uh, things for me even though I wasn't really a big fan of this group <clears throat> or any group for that matter, the song that really changed things for me, uh, for rap in, in my mind was the message. I figured you were gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, the message kind of showed me, even though I was just a really young boy listening to it, that you can actually paint pictures with words um, and I had known this because I was a real big, and still am, a, a big Prince fan. And Prince is probably the reason why I actually started writing more poetry. Um, 
when I was about, now I started rapping when I was like maybe nine or 10. Okay. Because I was introduced to Rapper's Delight and I was figuring on how to do it. But I didn't really become serious until we moved. Because at this time when I was with my cousins, I was still in Patterson. By the time um, I became a Prince fan, I was probably 13. 12, 13 years old. And I was one of those fans where I would have, I wouldn't have his picture on the wall, but I would have his symbol. <laughs> I get you, yeah, that's iconic symbol. I would have his symbol on the wall. And then uh, I remember Prince being real dark. Um, at least to me, he seemed real dark. He seemed like, uh, person who would talk about God, but when you talk, when you listen to it, it almost sounded like it was scary and dark and even sexy. That Jehovah Witness background, you know what I'm saying? That's probably what it was um, that made me feel that way about his music. So anyway, I, you know, I started writing poetry at that point, seriously at that point, um, or at least serious to me. And by the time I was uh, close to 17, I was actually recording my first record. Exactly. Okay. So before we get there, I got two questions tied into that. How did you settle on your name? And how did you get introduced to the religion of Islam? Um, okay. Why is it kind of came about while I was in Heightstown? Okay. Um, the 5% Nation was real big um, in Trenton and its surrounding areas. As a matter of fact, all over New York and the tri-state area, the 5% Nation was really, really big. Um, I never considered myself to be a 5%er, but 5%ers at some point would consider me to be 5%er because of what 5% means to them. Gotcha. Um, you know, uh, I couldn't be considered the 85 because I wasn't blind, deaf, or dumb. Nope. And I couldn't be considered a 10 percenter because I wasn't trying to hide it. I was really trying to tell the world whatever I knew. Right. So most 5 percenters would, would speak to me and we would, we would build, as they would say. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I didn't know it at the time but um, YZ kind of stuck. And then I began to understand what why meant. And why, it's two things. It's a question. Hmm. It's a question often asked by those who don't know, right? If you knew, you wouldn't ask, ask why. Why also is the 25th letter of the alphabet. Correct. Right? Z, which is the answer to that question, is also representative of three things. Top line being knowledge. The, the downward slant is the wisdom and the base being understanding. And that's how Z became the answer to the question. When I first started, YZ, YZ to me was 
the beginning of the end and the new beginning. And because just like numbers go on forever and ever, Z can never actually be the true end of the story. It's just the end of an era until the new era. So YZ was the beginning of the end, then the new beginning. Dang. I don't think you I don't think I've ever heard you <clears throat> explain it or read anything where you explained it. Uh, I have, but like I said, sometimes maybe you you know, people just don't hear you or listen. But if you go back, even in written articles, um, it's there because it's always been the same. Hey. Okay. Okay. So I know you touched on it a little bit about your career. And I guess everybody, we look at 89 as a start. Actually, it started before 89. Um, my career started probably 80, 87. Okay. Maybe even 86. Um, I was doing demos around 86. I was just a kid, um, still in high school. And um, this brother, this, this Italian dude, this brother I met by the name of Tony D, who was a DJ, yep. probably about four or five years older than me, asked me to come to his house to, to make a demo. So I did. I went to his house and we recorded this demo. And what he did was he played Trans Europe Express slow um, to this, this drum pattern. And around this rap that I had wrote called I'm Bad for about nine minutes. <laughs> or at least it felt like nine minutes. <laughs> and uh, that demo ended up getting in the hands of this guy named DJ Woody Wood, who was a part-time DJ um, in Philadelphia at Power 99 under this guy named Jeff Mills, who was a DJ for Lady B at Power 99. Hmm. And uh, Jeff got in touch with me. And he was just like, yo, I got this demo. I really would like to sit with you and talk about some things. So my dad took me to the Dunkin' Donuts near our house. <laughs> and when we got there, Jeff was there. He parked right next to Jeff's car. My dad didn't get out the car, but he kept his eye on that car and in that car. And what I did was I got out the car, got in Jeff's car. He had the demo in his car playing it. And uh, he was like, hey, I like this. Um, I like to, you know, really record this and, and we need to make this into a record. And so he asked me if I was interested. I told him I had to talk to my parents about it because I was probably only 16 <laughs> at the time or maybe about to be 17, maybe. And, uh, and uh, my mother said no. Mm. My mother was like, you can't do it. Man. And um, but my dad said, 
You got to let him do it. You got to let him do it. And so my mother reluctantly allowed me to, to go. So I went to Evergreen Studios in New York with Tony D and two other guys that uh, I had formed a group with called Two Death. One was G-Rock and the other guy was Tink. And so um, even though we were called Two Death, you would always see our names under it. And it would be YZ, G-Rock. Uh, that's what that would be. And so uh, we recorded that song, I'm Bad, and on that same day we recorded, a, that same night, we recorded a song called I Am Who I Am, which I have wrote for G-Rock and I. And um, that record ended up becoming our first single. And uh, how it became our first single was Jeff, um, the minute he got test pressings, without even saying anything to us, Remember, he was a he was a, a, a mixed show DJ in Philadelphia. That's not New York, but it's Philadelphia. Yeah. And um, I remember where we lived, you can you can hear all the New York stations and you can hear all the Philadelphia stations. That was the beauty of where we lived. In New York, you couldn't hear these Philadelphia stations, and in Philadelphia, you could not hear those New York stations. Mm. In New York. Because there are even portions in New in Jersey that you can't get those stations and vice versa. Like in Camden, you, they can't pick up um, the New York stations. Of their location. Patterson, they can't pick up the Philadelphia stations. But in our area, in the Trenton area, that central New Jersey area, you can pick up all of those stations. So anyway, to make a long story longer. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, without announcing it to us, um, one day I was listening to, you know, the radio, just like I did every Friday and Saturday, I would be going back and forth stations from um, Hot 90, I mean, uh, not Hot 97, from uh, 98.7 KISS to WBLS. So basically I was going from Mr. Magic to either Chuck Chill Out or, or DJ Red Alert oh, man. Or, or listening to Lady B's show. And I was more in tune to listen to, to Lady B's show because now her mixed show DJ had our stuff. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, to make a, a, a long story, much longer now. And I hate that it's just becoming longer. But the... Uh, before I even knew it, he was playing the record. And I didn't even recognize it. <laughs> but my brother said, hey, ain't that your record playing? And it made me stop. And sure enough, before I knew it, I was running out my door, running over to G-Rock's house, who lived in the apartment complex across the street from me. And by the time I got there, G-Rock was already playing the record outside of his window. Yeah, he beat you Everybody was like, he couldn't believe it that we have, we were being played on the record, radio. And the song that they were playing was that I am who I am that had us both on it. Anyway, that record became a, 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 a little local mainstay for some weeks. And 
I remember we did a show at the War Memorial Building because, like I said, in Trenton, you can get both stations, but they listen to Philadelphia stations. And I remember the War Memorial was having uh, KRS-One and MC Shan, um, that battle between them, they were having that show. And we were the opening act for that show. Right. And we murdered the stage that night. Like, I mean, I remember it as clear as, as yesterday. And uh, right then I knew it, 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 was, uh, it was our time. So shortly thereafter, a, a small label out of Trenton called Rock and Hard Records um, stepped to us about that record and said, hey, we'd like to put this record out, you know, such and such and such. Tony might've known the, the guys or maybe Jeff, but they put this record out. Guys couldn't have been known no more than maybe seven to 10 years older than me at the time. So they're probably in their early 20s and I'm just 17 or whatever. And uh, they had another label, they had another group called Simply Death hmm. on the label. And uh, I knew right then I was just like, I want to put more records out, but I'm not going to put any more records out on uh, rock and hard records. I want to put my own records out. Mm. And so um, I went to Tony and I said, hey, yo, like you're making beats and stuff. We yeah. should start a company. He was like, a company? I was like, yeah, we should start a company. And he was like, yeah, I guess we should call it Two-Tone Productions, huh? I said, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. And so we started Two Tone Productions, which was Anthony DePula, Anthony Hill, or Tony Hill and Tony DePula, or Tony Hill and Tony D. He was Italian, I was black. We played on all that. And, and there we had Two Tone. And uh, that's how that all got started. Man, no, no, that, and I was just about to ask you about that. And you, basically led it up into that point. So so now I'm gonna ask this question and you you kind of hinted to it, but I'm gonna see, can I get like a piercing question? You and Tony started Two-Tone and in interviews you said, you know, through Hustle and Savvy, you were able to get like a 50-50 percentage in Diversity Record. I was. Tell us a little bit about Diversity Record and that deal. How did that happen? Cause this is, you're not even 20 years old at the time my next move um like i said i didn't want to i didn't want to put out any more records on anybody's labels i was just like oh i gotta do this myself somehow and um it just so happened that this guy named timothy baylor had just started this label called diversity and uh i was like thinking well i got a record on the radio and he got a record company and, and he ain't got any artists and I got a record on the radio. I went to him. I was just like, hey. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, he set up that meeting. Because he didn't know how I was going to come to him. And uh, we started talking about doing another record. And I told him, why would I do a record with you? I just did a record with you know, this other small label here. Um, why would I do that with you? 
Now, I haven't gone into great detail of how this happened until now, but that's exactly how that happened. I was just like, why? What, you know, what's in that for me? And he said, well, what do you want? And I said, to be honest with you, if you want me to be here, I'm gonna want 50% of this label. <laughs> this Master P type stuff right here, dog. And, uh, and I don't know about Master P, but because at the time I didn't even know what a Master P was. <laughs> Before I even met Tim, I knew I wanted to put out my own records. And I figured a closed mouth don't get fed. Either he gonna say no, or he gonna say yes. And if he said no, I go find out my own way to do it. He just so happened to think about it and he was just like, you got a deal. <laughs> yeah. I never really looked back on it or I even got too excited even back then because in my mind I was like thinking, there's no way he's gonna say no. And that's how I approach mostly everything even now to this day, that when I want to do something, I do it. Wow. Okay. Okay. And I'm glad you gave us that exclusive. Because like I said, man, I never, you know, I listened to it. I was like, all right, this makes sense. But I'm going to have to ask him just because I wanted to get that full story. All right. All right. Um, um, okay. Poor Righteous Teacher. Yeah. And then how did they come into the picture? Because at this time, you got your own label now. Well, we, uh, Timmy and I, we now have diversity. And I'm still half owner of Two Tone Productions at the time. And Tony and I would, you know, get together regularly now, and we would link and talk about different stuff, and we were recording and different things. And I remember we were riding around town, and I guess Tony keeps his ear to the street. He knew a lot of the local guys in in, in Trenton, and uh, he knew who was hot, who wasn't. And we went to this little, I guess you can call it like a cookout or a backyard party. But it wasn't really much of a party when we got there. I don't know if people had already left or they just hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> but, uh, but it wasn't really much of a party. It was hardly any people there. But there was a, a you know, a, a DJ set up, um, some real janky speakers or whatever. And I don't remember if Tony disappeared or if somebody disappeared and was like, because they knew me because, like I said, I had this record on the radio. And in a small town like Trenton, you know, those, those kind of things kind of resonate pretty quickly. And somehow, why ended up at that little nothing of a party? And when uh, he came, um, I remember, I don't know if I held him, held, handed him the mic or he took it off the table or whatever, but as soon as I heard Wise Intelligence rhyme, I was just like, he has to be my next artist. I knew right then. And I talked to him. He went and talked to his crew, which was Culture Freedom and uh, another brother. I don't know at the time if Shahid was actually in the group at the time. I don't remember. I thought they had another DJ at the time. Um, maybe it was Father Shahi back then. Even. So anyway, um, 
and talked to them and said, hey, you know, I got this label and I would love to have y'all on this label with me and we can go and, and attack all of rap game. Rap, like with Jersey, Philly, and New York, and we can want to do this thing. And um, they were excited about it. I don't know. I don't think that they were nearly as excited as I was, because I, in my mind, I was like thinking, we are about to take over the world. I got this young brother who raps like nothing ever I've heard before, ever in life. Um, and me, with my mind, the way it works, I'm like thinking, you know, how many of him am I going to find once we get this thing going? <laughs> and uh, anyway, I don't think Tony liked it. Um, he never said anything outwardly, but you know, like you start to get these feelings about stuff. And I think Tony, because I was part two-tone and part diversity, uh, I think he took offense to that somehow. Why, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, it wasn't like it was hurting him. And Tony was working with a lot of different groups that I would never, ever think about it. Even when he started producing PRT, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in his pockets. I wasn't trying to, to stop him or stand in his way. As a matter of fact, uh, it was just the opposite. I was being very, very supportive of whatever he wanted to do. And uh, I think Tony started getting into PRT's ear. And the next thing you know, I'm hearing they want to release before we could even get their first record out. And Timothy was totally against it. And because we had them signed, he wanted to hold them. He wanted to hold them to their contract. And um, I pulled Tommy to the side. I remember them sitting, I mean, I remember this like it was yesterday. I went up on Timothy's porch and I could see Wise and I could see Culture Town in the street waiting for this answer. And Timmy was like, in verbatim, fuck that. They are our artists and we're gonna put them out. And that's that. And I was just like, yo, no, that's not just that. That's not what that's going to be because if they don't want to be here we're not going to get the best from them and it's going to be you know we're going to be fighting tooth and nail over nothing and I convinced them to let them go and uh, probably one of the worst things I should have ever, could have ever done but it was the right thing to do because they didn't want to be there anymore and plus they probably have been talking to another small label um, through Tony um, this guy named IQ has started a, a label out of Trenton called uh, Northside Productions. And they decided to go with Northside Productions. And Tony had produced this joint with them called Butt, ne Butt Naked Booty Bless. And he had did this joint called Time to Stay Peace. When I heard the record, I was really, really, really excited for them. I was just like, yo. This is exactly why I wanted to have this group, but they're not mine anymore, so I'm not gonna worry about it. But everything that, that I imagined that they could be, they became. And um, so that was that.
so yes, the, the, even though I was uh, uh, owner or co-owner of Diversity, Diversity Records, the very first group that we signed to that label, even though it's very short-lived, um, history would show that we signed Poor Righteous Teachers to their first record deal. And that's always going to be known in the history books. Uh, living contract. Say again? No, I was saying that's going to be in the history books. That you can't take that away. That's history. Yeah, it is what it is. Okay. So, got the label. For Righteous Teachers was the first act. Teachers were the first act. Walk me through how we get to Sons of the Father and how that comes to um, I, I actually just got the significance of what that album title meant probably the other day. Before Sons of the Father even happened, we had to put out a record on diversity. And that record ended up being in control of things. Thinking of a master plan was a, a you know on that record. Mm. And one other record. Thinking of a master plan, we never thought of it as being, it was just a B-side of record. So much that we didn't even do an instrumental to it, which was foolish on our part at, when I think about it later. Um, but we had no idea that the record would be what it is. I mean, we were just recording and in control of things was supposed to be that, that record for us. And um, what happened with that, and it kind of was a surprise to me, and because I didn't know this at the time, that Marley and, and, and Magic were kind of doing a split. And Marley had started his own radio show. I don't know if Pete Rock was there at this point yet, but I know um, Pete came later. But uh, for the moment, Marley had a radio show and he called it in control faction. And when he would start his his show, he would play in control of things. <laughs> and um, and I guess that's how Tough City got wind of YC. So what they did was they contact, they got the record contacted us. Timmy called me up one day saying, hey, Tough City wants to talk to us about a deal. And I was like, Tough City? I don't fuck with Tough City. And he was just like, why not? And I didn't see, I was young. Remember, I'm just a boy. I'm still a, a, just a, a kid. Even though I didn't want to do it, I still wanted to be a partner. I wanted to be half of diversity. I wanted to, 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 you know, play my part. I was totally against the idea for many reasons. I wanted to hold out. I wanted to wait. And if we were going to do it still, because we just get our feet wet. And before we can even, you know, get to our knees or even our shins, somebody's already coming. So if we just hold out just a little bit longer, Lord knows what it can be. What he wasn't saying was, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this. It's getting bigger than what I thought. I, you know, and I ain't going to be able to keep up. That's what he wasn't saying. 
when I was a kid and I didn't understand it at that time. Even though he didn't mention it, if I was a little older or a little more experienced, I probably would have peeped that out and said, hey, I understand what you're feeling, but we have to hold out. But I didn't. And so we met with, with Tough City. I listened to Aaron Fuchs and his bullshit. Timmy, D, Timmy was real excited about being on Tough City. So being that he was so excited about it, I agreed. But before I agreed, I told Aaron Fuchs this to his face. I said, hey, we do this with you. It's gonna have to be sort of a production agreement. And we're gonna change this label. It's not gonna be the same after we put our project out. It's gonna be different. And I guess Aaron was probably just entertaining anything that I was saying at the time. And he was like, yeah, you know, well, that's good or whatever he was saying, he was in agreement. But if you look at anything that, that, that Aaron was doing prior to us and even after us, nothing even came close to it. Don't get me wrong, there were other, other labels and other, I mean, other groups that were, you know, memorable to me, but nothing on a, on a, uh, a, a national scale or then even onto a global scale. One of which I thought should have happened was Lakim Shabazz. I thought Lakim Shabazz should have been bigger. Mark the 45 King was really just like a local hero who had, a, you know, when the 900 number came out, ended up being, it, it kind of just had its own legs. Um, but as far as artists is, is artists were concerned, I didn't see it. Not in Spoonie G, not in anybody. Spoonie had already had a name for himself, and I guess, you know, Tough City for him was kind of like a, a liner note, you know? Um, but he had already made a name for himself before he even got in there. And uh, so we put out Sons of the Father on that album, on that label. And, uh, you know, we started out with In Control of Things because, again, In Control of Things was that record that, that Marley was playing. And so we, we went right to it. Um, the video is pretty funny. <laughs> Looking back on it now, um, but we shot it anyway. We did it. The second one um, ended up being... Uh, uh, Tower to Power, I believe, or yes, um, yes, yeah. It was just, that was the second one, and they kind of gave us a little room with 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 Texas, and then we put out thinking of a master plan, and again, remember it was already on the B side of the before we even got to Aaron, but this time we just approached it a little bit differently. And Texas had taken to the record real heavy. Um, and I found out later that it was this guy named Eddie D out of Dallas who actually introduced that record to Texas. And somehow it got to Houston. And once it got to Houston, it was over. Um, they, they, they play that record to this day. It's just like a part of the paint. Like you can go in stores here and they'll have um, quotes thinking of a master plan with YZ on the walls. And in Houston, here now, even to this day, and so on. You know, it's weird how you, you, you don't know who you will 
touch. But I think what happened here in Texas is I think that story resonated to them because, you know, LBT in Texas was like the last. You know, when you start thinking about Juneteenth and all of these other things, Texas was one of those places that got hit. And so I think they could resonate with the record because it was speaking of black power. It was speaking of our future and how bright it should look. And I think that uh, it resonated to people here in Texas and still does. And um, because of it, I think that uh, uh, it changed a lot of our lives. And I'm happy to say that a lot of those people shared some of their stories with me, uh, how I helped them to get through school. And it's amazing to hear that, you know, because at 17, when I was writing that record, that wasn't my intention. My intention was whatever God was giving me at the time, I was just giving it back. But God has a way of giving you prophecy where you don't see it. And in that story, a few things came to fruition. We talked about a black president in that record. Two black presidents.